Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 76, and we're reviewing My Neighbor Totoro. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. (laughs) Now you gotta sing the other version. Oh, right. (laughs) So this is actually my very first Studio Ghibli film, you know, big shock. Ever? Ever, really? Yeah. You've never seen any of them? No. What um, the fuck? In my, I took a college class on like the history of animation, and I did see a clip of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind because uh, there was a brief unit on like anime. But that, that's all. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I don't fully remember the class, but um, I took the actual full-blown anime class um, offered by our university versus like the animation one that you took and i don't remember if we watched any studio oh no we did we watched grave of the flyer grave of the fireflies mm. i think that was the only ghibli movie that we watched but i could be wrong it was a, it was a long time ago i don't remember yeah um so what was it oh we we're trying to connect this to uh so we had once we finished watching um my neighbor totoro you know like the the song at the end which we'll probably discuss a little bit later uh, I realized that it sounds like uh, the Cthulhu song from um, one of South Park's episode arcs where it's like when the kids dress up as superheroes and it's when Cartman as the coon teams up with Cthulhu and has a, a growing relationship with him. I realized that they were parodying My Neighbor Totoro. Which makes sense because I think Trey Parker, the the co-creator of South Park, is a big Japanophile. So I guess that was my first quote-unquote experience in relation to My Neighbor Totoro. I don't really remember that episode of South Park, but was there any other connection to My Neighbor Totoro in that episode? Or was it just the Cthulhu song that they used? I feel like the, the scene where Cartman warms up to Cthulhu... He also, like, rests on Cthulhu's belly in a similar manner to how Mei first meets Totoro in this movie. Oh, okay. I need to go back and watch that episode. But, yeah, when you when the Totoro song came on, you kind of just stopped and you're like, Cthulhu? And I was like, what are you talking about? And then you started singing it and then you pulled it up on YouTube. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. No, yeah, it's it's like a almost a one-to-one parody of the ending song. <laughs> well, now you have a Studio Ghibli film under your belt. Congratulations. I watched this, sh- this, this shit. <laughs> wow. I watched, I watched this, this shit. <laughs> I watched this shit, shit when I was a kid. Yeah, I watched My Neighbor Totoro when I was super young. So I don't remember like anything from the movie. It was nice to rewatch it and kind of get my bearings again with this story. Because all I remember is just Totoro. But I forgot that he has teeth and that he makes noise. And that his whiskers look really fucking weird when he moves his face. So, yeah, it was a good refresher. Yeah, I'm again, I'm going into this blindly. Although I, I've seen, like, all the artwork for My Neighbor Totoro. Obviously, all the parodies and references in pop culture. All the merch for yeah. Totoro. <laughs> all so the much merch. merch. Um, so, again, I, I'm not looking at this through a nostalgic lens, but it does bring a sense of, like... It still brings a sense of nostalgia to me, just reminding me of like the 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 disney movies that i used to watch when i was younger i know like people always compare 
Studio Ghibli's work to Disney films if they were made in Japan. And that's the case here with Totoro. It's like it's in a very enchanting story, very enchanting characters. I just think they they take out like the overwhelming tide of drama that usually accompanies Disney films. Like thinking back to Aladdin, The Lion King, all of those part of the Disney renaissance. Yeah, I agree. There there is drama in this film, but it's um much more subdued than anything you get from like the Disney side of things or compared to other Studio Ghibli films. I think this one's very it's a very simple story told in a very simple way. And I think you know, I we don't usually talk about current events uh on our episodes, but I think like with the things that were happening this week, it's nice to just have a movie that makes you feel good and kind of takes you out of that reality. Gives you the warm fuzzies, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But before we get too far into the My Neighbor Totoro discussion, we do have one quick fun update on our end here at the Strictly series. We were recently guests on Otaku Host Club podcast, episode 73 to be specific, and we reviewed Video Girl Eye, which was a warm and fuzzy anime in a different sense. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess that one, too, brought about a sense of nostalgia for us, even though it was our first time watching it, especially because it's a, what, a rom- rom-com set or that was produced in the 90s, takes place in the 90s. Yeah, I think it came out in 92, so it's literally 30 years old. It is literally my age, which... <laughs> we are not 30 yet, almost. Close to it. <laughs> it's but... older than you are. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. But yeah, it, it was a, a fun watch. I... I too have never heard of it and it was um it was surprisingly enjoyable and I say surprising just because you know when I think of a classic anime I figure okay I need to watch it with a grain of salt because of the time period that it was produced and the level of you know quality that usually came out in the same time period but yeah I I really enjoyed it I think I walked away from it just feeling very satisfied and having enjoyed everything that that I saw even the the very interesting final episode but mm-hmm. I think it did affirm for us that at least in anime, the slice of life rom-com genre has not changed in 30 years. It was like the same tropes, the same formulas, the same story beats that you would see in anything that's produced in 2021, 2022. But you know, we still eat that shit up. So it's, yeah. it's still working. If and, it ain't yeah. broke, don't fix it, <laughs> right, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, that was a really fun discussion. We also talked about some other stuff like um, our review of Footy Cootie. Um, Otaku Host Club podcast shared some of their their thoughts on Footy Cootie as well. We talked about Carl's rap career. <laughs> yeah, my burgeoning rap career, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we talked about a lot of different things, and it was a, a really great discussion. So don't miss it. Again, it's episode 73 of Otaku Host Club podcast, all about Video Girl I. So let's switch back to My Neighbor Totoro. Let's uh, let's talk overall thoughts. What were your big takeaways or your your big feelings from from this movie? Honestly, like I knew people loved this movie, and like I said before, I've always heard the, the comparisons of Studio Ghibli's films to like Disney films, and so I was expecting something that was like engrossing, that kept me emotionally invested, very dramatic. And, like, I still experience all of those things, minus, like, the dramatic part. But, like, this this movie, I guess the best way I can explain it is I, I was reading um, a, force, um, a review by Roger Ebert, um, 
late film critic. Um, he gave the film four stars, and I pulled one quote out from his review. It says, here is a children's film made for the world we should live in rather than the one we occupy. A film with no villains, no fight scenes, no evil adults, no fighting between the two kids, no scary monsters, no darkness before the dawn, a world that is benign. A world where if you meet a strange towering creature in the forest, you curl up on its tummy and have a nap. So I think it's just the simplicity of the story is what kind of surprised me. But it's not like, it's not simplicity in the sense that I found it boring. It was still, like I said, a very enchanting story. I think what I connected most with it is that it's a simple story about childhood of innocence, naivete, and anim- uh, not an- animation, imagination, um, kind of just bringing you back as a viewer to your own childhood memories and reliving it kind of through Satsuki's and May's eyes. Yeah, I agree. I think it is um, a very simple story in in the best you know way possible. I I think I would have preferred. I'm not looking for major drama or for someone's life to be at risk or for fight scenes or anything like that. But I just wanted something more. Like I wanted a little bit something. Just it felt like something was missing. Like there just there just wasn't that extra step um, that allowed me to be fully satisfied ha- after watching the movie. Don't get me wrong. I still enjoyed it. I don't regret it. It was a fun watch, but I felt just a little like want for something more. And I'm having a hard time kind of articulating what that is. But I think just having some sort of end goal. And mm. I've shared this before. Um, if you've you know listened to the podcast long enough, you probably learned this about me. Like sometimes I have a tough time getting invested in an anime that doesn't have an end goal or an overarching plot. But again, this is still enjoyable. I just kind of wish that like the girls were working toward something. You know what I mean? Like I just, even if it's not a dramatic something or a risky something, just working toward something, even if it was just strengthening their bond as sisters or, um, mm. you know, being ready to welcome home their their mom from the hospital or just like something. It just felt like things happened, but the girls were never kind of progressing toward anything. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Um... I was just kind of browsing through other reviews and analyses of the movie, and I kind of get the feeling uh, that this movie with with the two girls, it's more about almost like a sense of escapism and like a using Totoro as a like a coping mechanism because it is a very pivotal time in their lives. Like they just moved to a new place to be closer to their mother who has. I don't know if she has a terminal illness or like an ailment. And so they have Totoro and the cat bus and the little creatures there as as a way to, again, cope with the situation. Um, whether or not that's, we see that as to their benefit or to their detriment, although this movie promotes it as to their benefit. That's what I kind of interpreted from it. Yeah, I could see that. Like, again, like, I'm fine with it being a simple story as long as the girls learned something at the end of it. Like, that, maybe that is the end goal. Is like, what did they learn from this adventure? And we can, we can talk about that um, a little bit more. But let's, let's jump into the synopsis that we can kind of dive a little more deep in, or a little bit deeper (laughs) into my neighbor Totoro, my neighbor Cthulhu. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I have a very brief synopsis for my neighbor Totoro. So to get started, My Neighbor Totoro is a 1988 Japanese animated fantasy film written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki and animated by Studio Ghibli. 
which tells the story of a professor's two young daughters and their interactions with friendly wood spirits in post-war rural Japan. The family moves into a rural household in order to be closer to their ailing mother and the sibling pair, Satsuki and Mei, look on the bright side of life as they explore their surroundings. Mei eventually comes across a rare species of Pokemon in the nearby forest that she names Totoro. The siblings later befriend the gentle giant and his happy tree friends, including an environmentally friendly cat bus, as they make their rural lives a little more bearable. When the girls discover that their mom's Kanye West homecoming is going to be later than expected due to a sudden unknown development on her condition, a distraught Mei runs off to bring her mother a DoorDash corn delivery, while Satsuki pleads for Totoro Tolozo's help in finding her unsettled sibling. He books her a free fare on Catbus, which reunites the two and allows them to leave their mother, who is still alive and well, an amazing gift. But um, And they all lived happily neighbor after. So right off the bat, I felt like Totoro was barely in this movie and kind of played a secondary <laughs> part. I was kind of like, damn, I want to know more about Totoro and the other creatures. What the fuck are they? And where did they come from? But... I we actually paused the movie when Totoro finally made an appearance and it was a third of the way into the movie I think like a half hour into the movie and I was like damn it's been 30 minutes of them cleaning their house <laughs> like that's what the whole first 30 minutes was just them moving into and cleaning their house yeah he's only in like two-thirds of the movie because I think the movie was like an hour and a half and even then he didn't play like substantial parts he was just there sometimes and yeah. that's that's fine, but maybe that's like the tough part about titling the movie Totoro because then you expect he's going to play a significant part in the story, and he really doesn't. I wasn't expecting that either because he only, well, he appears initially when May meets him and then at the, the, the bus stop and then they do that ritual and then Satsuki calls upon him one more time to help him find May. And he just sends cat bus <laughs> to, to go after. He's like, let me catch you a bus. Yeah, and I think there's like one shot of him at the very end where he's looking at the, uh, looking at um, Mei and Satsuki playing with the other children in the village or whatever. So yeah, he he's barely there. Do you think he's real? Because I think there are mm. some, some hints throughout the movie that he may not have been real. He may have been just a figment of the girl's imagination. And I think that was most prevalent in the scene where he's helping them grow the tree, like from the seeds to the tree um, by doing that that dance or that Super Saiyan power-up move as they were trying to like force, <laughs> give their energy to the tree to grow. But then, you know, their dad is sitting right there in the window. He looks out, he even like smiles at them. Um, and you'd think he'd have some sort of reaction to Totoro and this giant-ass tree growing out of the ground, but he doesn't. And mm. then the next morning, they're just little saplings. Yeah, I think... That was left to the viewers to interpret if that was just a a dream sequence, which I think it it was. Um, this again goes back to my presumption that the movie is all about like a child's imagination and how children kind of use that to cope with things in in regular life. Again, especially here since Mei and Satsuki have to deal with their mother being in the hospital uh, and Totoro kind of providing that sense of hope for them or that sense of escapism. The only caveat is if Totoro was in their imagination, who did 
um, who did the girls give that umbrella to at the bus stop? Um, a ghost. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that is a good question. Maybe it blew away in the storm winds. Yeah, I don't know. It, you're right. There's a lot of um, themes around childlike wonder and curiosity. And, you know, maybe maybe it's one of those situations where Totoro only appears to the innocence of a child or the innocent mind of a child. Because um, there are other stories out there where you know children are the only ones who are able to see a certain creature just because of the way that, that they are. So maybe it's one of those situations. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think I could take it or leave it either way, whether Totoro is real or not. I mean, some of us had, like, imaginary friends growing up. <laughs> Did as, we? <laughs> as weird as that may sound. Um, I'm kind of thinking uh, back to the, the TV show Arthur, uh, where DW, his his sister, which may kind of reminds me, like, she has that DW energy in this movie. <laughs> um, DW has her own imaginary friend, Nadine, and I feel like she's used Nadine to, again, kind of help her through the trials and tribulations of, of childhood. And that's I think that's the same case here with uh, with May and Satsuki having Totoro in their lives. And speaking of the girls, if you feel like, you know, or if, you, if you're a person who's on the fence about having kids, this movie might deter you from ever wanting them because, <laughs> damn, these little girls are hyper as fuck. Like yeah. the entire movie, I'm like... Right out of the gate, I'm too. like, you're up here. I need you to bring it down here. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. And again, like that's that's kids, right? They have a lot of energy. They usually are hyperactive. But damn, these kids are hyper. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they were running all over the place throughout this movie. And I think maybe that was just studio ghibli flexing their running animation because it is very satisfying <laughs> to watch like there's something about the way ghibli animates characters running because like their legs like flail up and down and their arms are like swinging side to like side naruto running <laughs> no that's not satisfying <laughs> i feel like may had done that once in, in this movie maybe <laughs> but yeah I, I think that i i enjoyed the running animations but yes also like it just made them seem even more hyper than they were i also found it interesting in the beginning uh Tatsuki and Mei like they they get introduced to their house and it's clear that this house is in terrible shape and it's falling apart and I think they I don't remember if they ripped one of the pillars like holding the they were house. shaking it for like the, oh, yeah. the veranda like, or whatever you, are you crazy um you know as us us as adults we figure like this house should probably be condemned <laughs> by <laughs> by whatever authority but for me and Satsuki they they embrace it like they they find fun in it um again just promoting that childlike curiosity and innocence again making a what seems like a terrible situation with their mother into something more positive yeah and i also like that they were chasing after the soot sprites in their house because soot sprites are um also in spirited away and i love them in that movie so it's so much fun seeing them in this movie i was like oh they're here too they're so cute it's like a cameo appearance like <laughs> a connected <laughs> universe maybe <laughs> um what else what else oh i also wanted to say in terms of like the characters and their relationships i adore fathers and daughters in anime um and maybe it struck a chord with me because i'm a daughter with a really great father but i feel 
like less often we have stories centered around really great dads in anime (laughs) and this was a really great dad i mean he wasn't perfect but he was a really loving father and honestly most of the time parents in anime are pretty shitty in general both mothers and fathers so it's just great to have a parent that's good Mm -hmm. let alone two parents that are good in this anime like damn that's that's pretty lucky yeah and you'd figure like this dad is probably a lot of under a lot of stress I figured he'd probably be working in finance with all the papers around him. I didn't realize he was actually a, a professor. Did um, they say what he was a professor of? I don't recall, actually. Um, but, you know, like his occupation on top of the fact that he probably has to cover his wife's hospital bills, make sure that she's okay while having or making sure that he has a roof uh, over his kids' sh- uh, over his kids' heads. Like, you'd think all that pressure would make him a, a salty kind of person, but he doesn't. Like, he keeps he keeps pushing through that and taking care of these kids as best as he can. I just feel like the voice actor, but we watched the obviously the Japanese dub, by the way, but... Japanese subbed. We watched oh, yeah, it subbed but, with Japanese yeah, voice actors. Yeah. Uh, I think the voice actor, his delivery was kind of subdued, and there were tense moments in here where... You know, they find out, or like they receive a telegram from the hospital about their mother's condition. And I, f- I get like maybe when Satsuki called her father, he wanted to keep like his voice calm so as to not alarm her or anything. But at some points, including that point, it just felt like you, like you just needed a little bit more from this father. Again, it's great that we have a terrific father figure in this movie compared with like (laughs) all the shitty fathers that we've seen in anime recently. (laughs) But at times it just felt like he was, he was reading off of a script rather than really pouring emotion into the role. I agree. And I think it's probably because he's not a voice actor by trade. He Mm. only, this is his only voice acting role um, Uh, on Mal anyway. So in anime and it says here, so it's um, Shigesato Itoi that he is a famous Japanese copywriter and essayist, though he's best known outside of Japan as a game designer for his work on Nintendo's Earthbound series. So, yeah, mm. I don't think this is his full-time gig. But are just uh, like, do you want to read this? And he's like, sure. Yeah, he's like, fuck it. I'll be in a, in a <laughs> an anime movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. I think that his, his performance was probably one of the weaker in the film. Um, but overall, I think the, the sub was fine. There were times where May's voice was just, like, too much for me. Like, when she mm. got excited or yelled, I was like, Yo, like, turn it down with, like, ten notches. That's how kids are. No, but just, like, the the raspiness in her voice and stuff, too. I'm like, you sound like a kid who smoked, like, ten packs of cigarettes a day, and you're only, like, I don't know, how old are you? Five? Like, damn. I'll spit out my tea. She's four. She's four years old. (laughs) I know. You almost spit out your tea everywhere. Sorry. (laughs) But, yeah, like, there was just, like... Like almost too much of a raspiness, or I was like, "Damn, this girl is gonna have some some whack ass voice when she gets older." But overall, I enjoyed the sub. I believe when I watched it the first time as a kid, I watched it dubbed, as probably the majority of people have. I just don't remember it at all, so I figured, "Fuck it, let's watch it subbed." There's an interesting story about the English dub. Uh, looking at With fucking Dakota Fanning. Yeah, well, there's there's two English dubs. Um, reading here on Wikipedia, in 1989, Streamline Pictures produced an English language dub for exclusive use on Trans-Pacific flights by Japan Airlines. I think uh, the rights reverted to Disney, or like, yeah, the the rights were bought to Disney 
<laughs> the rights were bought by Disney at some point. So then they did a redub of the movie um, in the early to mid 2000s. And that's probably the version that you watched. And that included uh, Dakota Fanning and her sister Elle Fanning in the lead roles. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's probably what I watched. Um, I just, our, again, our philosophy when it comes to watching like dub versus sub is if one or both of us watched it originally dubbed and we have a strong connection to the dub, then we will watch it dubbed, i.e. Cowboy Bebop or Samurai Champloo. We've watched those dubbed because that's how we originally watched them and that's what we feel most connected to here. I mean, I again, I don't remember the movie at all, so I was like, I don't, I don't mind if we watch it subbed, um, and I, I enjoyed it. I think it was still overall a really good sub. Um, I liked Satsuki's voice actress a lot. Um, I thought everyone was great, just except for the father being a little underwhelming and May sounding like a, a smoke addict. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about? Actually, two questions. One, what did you think about the animation? And keep in mind the context, like the, the time frame this came out, which was 88. And two, what did you think about Neko Basu having a belly button and balls? The <laughs> <laughs> you know, Asking the important questions here. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that the cat bus had balls until you pointed it out. Dude, it jumped up in the air. And at first I saw the belly button. I'm like, oh, there's a belly button. And then it kept floating in the air. And I'm like, oh, there's also a ball sack. Like, well, it has balls. <laughs> I guess they wanted to be anatomically accurate. I mean, and- it's a cat bus. <laughs> Neko Basu, cat bus. Although, I guess you'd... Like Totoro, you don't see his private parts, but you do see his weird human-like teeth. That's true. Kind of <laughs> like teeth um, are very odd. Yeah, almost like as many ro- um, teeth as like a Titans in Attack on Titan. <laughs> um, so there, answered your second question. <laughs> First question is: I think the animation was fantastic for its time. It's it seems on par with like the Disney movies that would have come out. Now, really quick, we did watch the HD remake on Mm. HBO. Yeah, HBO Max has the Ghibli collection. But I don't think they're remaking it to the point where, like, it's going to look drastically different. So I still think we can, it's a fair thing to say that the animation was fantastic for its time, even with an HD remake. Yeah. Um, And I was particularly watching the the scene where I think Satsuki is preparing bento. And, you know, it's late 80s. It's animation that's not as crisp as animation we see today but i still you know anytime you see food in anime it's always amazing and even here where it's 80s animation quality i was still like "Mm, bento (laughs) (laughs) yeah food in anime has always been and will always be super delicious looking i was most impressed um again in terms of the animation coming out when it came out i was most impressed with the every moment that Totoro had chills and you could see his fur just kind of like shockwave up. Like they animated mm. all of his fur. Like, you know, when you get the shivers, you get like a chill down your spine. It was that, but you can see like the, like each of his like fur patches, just kind of the, those shivers traveling up his body. Something about it was just so cool to watch um, the few mm-hmm. times that it happened in this movie. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like, obviously that's something that you just feel like comes naturally with, um anime or animation that you see today but back then that you could kind of consider that groundbreaking i also really loved (laughs) totoro's nostrils (laughs) i didn't realize he had like straight up nostrils 
I'm looking up a picture of it now. And I just, I don't know. I, I liked his nostrils. I also liked the way they animated his eyes blinking because it wasn't just like his eyes stayed big and they the lids open and closed. It was like he, the way he blunk. He blinked. <laughs> blinked would be, <laughs> would be like a big eye shrinking into a small eye and then expanding into a big eye again. I thought that was a fun uh, choice for his character design. One thing I didn't like, though, in addition to the human teeth and the fact that he made noise, because I, for some reason, never remembered him ever making noise and he was making some weird-ass noises, were his whiskers. When he would yawn, mm. and the way they animated his whiskers, they looked like solid metal rods in his like face that would kind of move back and forth. I don't know. It didn't feel like hair to me. It felt like metal rods sticking out of his face. I pictured it more like the like porcupine like hairs. Oh yeah, but that still kind of like... weirds me out because when you think whiskers, <laughs> well, you think metal like... rods sticking out of an animal. <laughs> you think like whiskers are are hair like and they're flexible. I mean, I mm. look at Rigby and like I can rub his face and his whiskers are just bendable. Here, I feel like if Totoro whacked you in the face with one of his whiskers, you'd probably get knocked out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just like Totoro because he has that sleepy energy. And maybe it's also because, like, he reminds me of Rigby, too. Oh, Rigby. He's <laughs> <Especially laughs> like, sleeping right now next yeah, to us. Especially because in some shots I'm looking at, um, <laughs> Thor kind of has, like, derpy eyes. <laughs> He's kind of like Snorlax in a way. Yeah. That's Snorlax energy, too. I wanted to just bring up one other thing, um, one scene in this movie that was interesting. And it, it kind of goes back to the presence of the f- the father in these girls' lives. Um, I think My Never Totoro, like a couple of the themes that it deals with uh, also involve like kind of like environmentalism or animism or particularly like within Japanese culture, uh, Shintoism. Uh, because I think after May tells the, May tells Satsuki and her father about the presence of Totoro, they go back to the, I think it's called the camphor tree um, because I think the father says, well, like we need to pay respects to this creature who I think they kind of called him like the master of the forest. And I know that's kind of like a, a tradition within like Shintoism is like going to like a shrine to pay respects to like a, a god or a kami um, like after a significant event. Is that sound right yeah just kind of acknowledging the the spirits and like you said paying your respects and so i like that you know the movie kind of acknowledges that brings that sort of japanese culture into the movie but also that even after like even though may brings up something that sounds so outlandish like oh i just met this creature the father doesn't dismiss her in any way like i feel like you expect that in an American Disney movie, right? Like, no, kid, that's not real. Yeah, like, now go finish your vegetables or whatever. <laughs> but, like, he embraces it, and he, again, I think it's just a very wholesome moment that he connects with his kids rather than, again, like, dismisses them or says, like, oh, you're just being foolish. There, There's no such thing as a, a totoro toto toto <laughs> in, in real life. Uh, which just makes this movie again just seem more acceptable of childhood imagination and growing up um, and just 
the the beauties of childhood in general. It's kind of like when parents tried to, um, you know, play along with the whole Santa lie. (laughs) (laughs) Like we all know Santa's not real, but some kids don't know that. And, you know, they just keep it going as long as you can until they figure it out on their own. Or if you just decide to tell them that Santa's not real. Yeah. And and then the father, when they're like 10, or I know I think Tatsuki's already 10, but like when these girls are of age, he's like, guys, Totoro isn't real (laughs) that's gonna be such a shock to them but but that does play into what we were saying earlier about this just being a really great father like he's just a loving father to his daughters and to your earlier points he's got to keep their their spirits up because their mother is sick um and you know there's that air of uncertainty or, or fear around that um he's just like a really great father figure father character not father figures, he's literally their father, but you know what I mean. And then their mom comes home at the end. Like, she's, yeah. she's fine. She's good. Which begs the question, you know, as the movie wrapped up, I was like, that was great. But what was the point? <laughs> right. Like, I figure it would have been a turning point if the mother had passed away. And then seeing how the, uh, the how Satsukiya may cope with that. Uh, there is a brief moment where... Uh, Satsuki learns about what the telegram is and she relays that to Mei and Mei is just so distraught by the info like she doesn't want to hear it and Satsuki kind of says like what's your problem like our mother could be dying right now and I thought that was a pivotal scene but it, yeah it it kind of just goes nowhere after that and this is what I was saying about the girls learning something or having some sort of goal making me feel more satisfied at the end of the movie is like why not make and I'm not saying like the girls um you know have some like magical ability where if they believe hard enough their mother will be healed like no Mm -hmm. that that's a little too far-fetched even for this movie but something along the lines of like them never losing um faith that their mother will ultimately get better or Mm -hmm. I don't know, something that ties in like the two of them making amends, um, somehow playing directly into the mother getting better versus like they make amends and also separately their mother gets better. Like it just, mm-hmm. I needed some sort of tie in at the end to feel like we were working towards something. And again, that could just be me because I always kind of need that ultimate goal um, with whatever I'm watching to feel most satisfied. I'm sure there's plenty of people who can just take this as it is and you know walk away fully satisfied so i don't know maybe it's just me yeah i mean again i think the essence of this movie is just that it's it's a feel-good story and you don't want it to be tied down by that that drama and having it end with a happy ending Um, and i don't by any means want the mom to die like i I think that would have been very out of place for this movie for the mom to die um, or to even be shown as like extremely ill. Like I think that's mm-hmm. all we needed to know was like there was a phone call. She caught a cold. The girls were concerned because they're not old enough to understand whether a cold is really severe or not. And like that, that's enough on like the whole mom front. Um, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying by any means that the mom should have like died or been like right. you know on the brink of death. But like I, I would say like if that were the situation, you could kind of expand more upon how the girls. As I said, they they use Totoro as like a coping mechanism for these significant events. Like if the mother were to pass away, um, how Totoro would kind of help them through through that tragedy and through their moments of grief. Maybe help them come to a realization that it's something connecting them to like the preciousness of life and how I don't know, like like things can be interconnected. 
I'm yeah, just... maybe maybe that was like the lesson I was hoping the girls would learn more at the end is like with their mother being sick um, and then with May getting lost, like just the the appreciation of family and how important family mm-hmm. is. Not to say that they didn't appreciate their family or find their family important, but like just a very clear lesson to be learned for the girls so that they can progress their their growth and character development. Like that's that's just all I'm looking for. I guess the one weird thing, and I pointed this out to you when it happened, is that when the nanny and like the townsfolk are searching for May, uh, they they look in a lake or a pond or whatever, they find a sandal. And Satsuki comes over and they're asking her to confirm if it's May's sandal. And she says no. And they're all relieved, of course. But it's still some girl's sandal, right? <laughs> am I being am I being stupid? Or... Is there another girl in that yeah, pond that's like, missing? Like, oh, okay, call off the search. It's and also fine. that wasn't her sandal? Because we got mm-hmm. that shot of her putting on her sandals before she ran off. And like I noticed she didn't put the strap on the back of her feet. Like, cause that, that bothers okay. me. I could, I, as a kid, I could never wear my sandals where like the straps were underneath my feet. I had to fully put them on. Um, so yeah, that stuck out to me and I'm like, I, I thought that was the sandal. It looked very close, but maybe that was the point. Maybe it was supposed to look very similar, but it wasn't the exact sandal. Or maybe Satsuki just didn't know it. If it really was May's sandal. And, and it so is. if she didn't know and, and May was in that pond. Oh, <laughs> so like, no, that's not her sandal. Well, they just I call off the search. Well, I'm just glad this is a feel-good movie with a feel-good ending. Yeah, so. I was actually kind of freaked out that they were even looking for a body in the water. I would have figured you'd try the, like, they would be looking in, like, the forest to find her, you know, hiding somewhere. But mm. they were looking in the pond, and I was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, maybe it was, like, the last place that they looked, and they happened to find the sandal, so... That's how that's how the story ended up. Um, the last thing I will say about this movie is just the the musical score. It's very whimsical. Again, just evoking like the, like Disney films that were composed by people like Alan Menken or even Randy Newman. Uh, Randy uh, Newman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, besides, just, like, you know, like the, the the songs that he sings, like, he does have. He nice... doesn't have like the magical, whimsical feeling that I would get from <laughs> these kinds of movies. No, but like he, he composed like the Toy Story films, and those all have great soundtracks. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about just like the ones where he sings. I'm like, no. those aren't whimsical. <laughs> well, yeah, his voice is not whimsical sounding, <laughs> but they they're still great songs and scores. Uh, I think. For Ghibli, uh, the composer here, he, he's done a lot of Ghibli films. I think it's Joe, Joe Hisaishi. Is that how it's pronounced? It's spelled J-O-E. So I don't know if that's like... If oh, it's actually, Joe? Is, yeah. he from, is he from the U.S. or something? <laughs> I don't think so. I think he... he Unless it's, it's pronounced Joe, but... Yeah, that's what I let's was... Let's just go with Joe. <laughs> yeah, Japanese composer. He was born in Nagano, Japan. Okay, so maybe it is Joe. I don't know. That's that's a that's a weird one. Well, I just love that, you know, the the score also just, it's very feel good. Uh, especially the um, cat buses. Like, he has this, it has this theme that just reminds you of, like, bustling city transportation. But in this case, it's a fantasy-like transportation. Um, a lot of, like, marching sounds in this, too, uh, which I think kind of, like, a marching sound, it, even though it may sound militaristic to some, it just it just contributes to sounding like children drumming up their imagination. Um, again, a, a very focal point of this movie. 
And so that brings us to our final thoughts for My Neighbor Totoro. So how many Totoro eclipses of the heart out of 10 would you give this movie? <laughs> I would give it a 7.5 out of 10. I think it was um, enjoyable in the purest sense. It's a simple story. I mean, it, it's a movie meant for kids. And I think you could sit any kid down in front of this movie and they'll enjoy it. They'll appreciate it. They don't need a deeper meaning for this type of movie. And I'm not asking for a deeper meaning. As I've said multiple times, I just felt like there was just a little something missing um, to kind of make this story feel fully complete. But at the end of the day, taking it for what it is and for when it came out, I think it's um, it's a, a solid movie that it makes sense as to why people feel so strongly about to Totoro and why they love it. And to this day, you still see people talking about it and, you know, buying merch and, and just having some sort of Totoro representation somewhere, you know, like a profile picture or some mm -hmm. shit. Like, I, I understand. And I think a lot of that probably stems from the nostalgia of people watching this as kids. And yeah, I think it's it's a solid movie. It was a fun watch. What about you? Yeah, I would give it the same score, seven and a half out of 10. I guess I'm just finally glad I have context for that picture where Totoro's standing in the rain next to May and the umbrella. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as I've mentioned, it's a, it was a more simplistic story than I expected, but it's one that kind of reminded me of, you know, childhood bliss, uh, the childlike wonder that was kind of rampant in our imaginations at a young age. And I think that's why so many people have connected to this movie because it just brings them back to the days when they were child living young wild and free oh my god <laughs> maybe not like wild but you know wild in the sense of just being a really hyper child now i'm gonna have that song stuck in my head <laughs> <laughs> um and you know maybe totoro is again just an example of the coping mechanisms that we as children kind of created for ourselves in order to keep our minds at peace and also just help us grow into the individuals that we are today as we kind of eased ourselves more into the realities of the world. But I think philosophy and like psychology aside, the, just the, the general wholesomeness is strong in this movie. And I think that's something that's just needed now in today's day and age. Just a, again, a feel good movie that doesn't have a lot of baggage that can kind of help us escape from the realities of everyday life while also helping us adapt to the everyday realities of life if that makes sense that does yeah i think um it is nice once in a while to just have simplicity like this and just something to purely enjoy without having to overthink it <laughs> which is what we do all the time when we watch <laughs> anime we got to overthink it we got to overanalyze it and yeah just that song at the end such a vibe also <laughs> just great like late 80s 90s nostalgia for me and yeah it's definitely on my spotify playlist now and now you have context for the cthulhu song right <laughs> <laughs> now you know but yeah i i enjoy this and if you guys want us to review more ghibli movies um let us know i'd, I'd be very open to that i think we'd be very open to that yeah i need to catch up yeah, you gotta you gotta <laughs> learn what it's all about. Like what is a spirited away? Or oh a, my god, I or would. Or a howl's moving castle. I would love <laughs> to review, um, fucking spirited away. Fuck. <laughs> it's like when you said I I watch this shit. 
<laughs> no, I love Spirited Away. Oh my god, that's a fantastic movie. Kiki's Delivery Service is a great movie. Um, I ha- I don't remember much about <laughs> Princess Mononoke. Yes, Kiki's Delivery Service for anyone who. <laughs> Who speaks or knows Tagalog? I'm sure as a Filipino okay. kid, you're thinking Kiki's <laughs> delivery service. Yeah, we all made those I jokes. I did not mean to snicker, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, Princess Mononoke is one that I watched that I don't remember, like Totoro. I've never seen Howl's Moving Castle. Um, I've never seen Ponyo. So yeah, there's a lot here, obviously, that we can we can uh, review and we can talk about. So if you're interested in more Ghibli reviews, let us know. And that wraps up episode 76 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll also find more information on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.